Hello, and welcome back. Hello. It's spooky season. It is spooky season. Well, we're, we're like an hour and 15 minutes of spooky season. Well, I always consider spooky season as starting in September anyway. We're in, we're in pre-spooky season. Like, halfway through September is the beginning Like, you know season. how they have the pre-workout drinks? Sure. That's what... September is the October. Yeah, we're just getting ready for the real spooky. Yeah, it's the, the pre-workout. I mean, we've already been watching horror movies. Pre-workout cocktail? What the heck are those things called? Supplement. Oh, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't exercise. Anyways, <laughs> this is about a spooky book, and yes. we're recording this episode in your closet, but if you check, we won't be there, but we'll be watching you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, I chose this book. Yeah, so this month we read Road of Bones by Christopher Golden, which uh, I ha- I do have to say, this is probably one of my favorite covers of the books that we've read. It's a really good cover. I really like it. It has like a snowy forest that kind of, I mean, we're from Buffalo, New York, so you know that bottom part of the page is meant to be when you're driving through a blizzard with just the headlights and it's like pitch black. Yeah. It almost looks like you're or going even, through... like, when it's not even a blizzard, but you're just on a stretch of road where there's not streetlights, and you look in the rear of your mirror, and it's just infinite darkness. Yeah, but with, like, the spots of snow, yeah. and it almost looks like stars. Um, don't you miss it? Um, <laughs> I don't know. And the contents of this book would make me not miss it either, yeah. because it's very scary uh situation about driving and down this road the thing about this book too is it's not like like when you watch a lot of horror movies there is a lot of like sometimes there's build up where like it's like 50 years ago someone was murdered here and then it flashes the present day and so you know there's like backstory in this area and this story these people are just out there and it just goes down yeah i mean it's they do explain why the two well, I guess the one guy is the main character. I don't really know. It switches between perspectives yeah. a lot, but I think Teague, Teague and Prentice. has the most uh, narration from his point of view, so yeah. I guess I would consider him the main yeah. character. And then uh, Prentice and Nari are like tertiary protagonists. Yeah. Um, but I guess, should we just start with the summary? Yeah, well, and before we start, actually, when when we announced this book on Twitter at the beginning of the month, Mm -hmm. Christopher Golden actually liked the tweet. So if you're listening, hi, Christopher. Hello, welcome. (laughs) I liked this book. To our little chat. And we were trying to figure out how to pronounce Ararat, Ararat, right before we started. Whatever. (laughs) That's another book by Mr. Golden. Yes. Um, But yeah, so this book, the main character is a guy named Teague. Uh, I think his first name is Felix, but he doesn't like to be called Felix. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's kind of like Riley described an idea man. Like he, he works in film, mm-hmm. but he comes up with the ideas a lot, and then also tends to be kind of hands on. Yeah, he's basically. I mean, I don't know that much about the film industry. I, you think that I would because my sister is a aspiring actress, but I actually have never really bothered to learn that much about it. But from my understanding, Teague is kind of like a producer, but he also is trying to get his own film company off the ground. So he also like runs a lot of the shows. Not only does he like back them financially. um, And in fact, part of that's part of his problem is he can't back a lot of it financially himself. So he has to like 
he's a smooth talker. He, like, seeks out people to do for him. And he mentions that, like, he's like, yeah, I've had good ideas, and they've worked and made me money, and I've had bad ideas, and they've lost money, and I owe people money. And he's like, you know, I don't think that's my fault. I'm just trying to make stuff. Right. Which is fair. Like, I don't necessarily think he's, like, a bad person, based on him. Right. He does owe Prentice, who is also his best friend and the person traveling with him, $8,000. Right. Um... But his latest idea to make money and hopefully pay back Prentice is to film essentially what would be a documentary on the highway that goes through Siberia, which is like, I can't, is it the M4, the H4? Uh, um, uh, it's affectionately called the Road of Bones. Right. Um, the Kolymia Highway? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Basically, I can't remember if they used this show as a example, because they did name a few real-life reality TV shows, but I was imagining, like, Ice Road Truckers. Yeah. You ever heard of that show? Or, like, the the fishing shows where they're, like, what is it, Deadliest Catch? Yeah, and yeah. Like out. So he wants to make something like that, um, but on the Colyuma Highway. Yeah, which is constructed... Okay, I... I kind of know what it is. I apologize if I get my Russian history wrong. But, like, Siberia is where Stalin's gulags were. There's a lot of people who died and their bodies were never found. They're just buried under snow. And this road kind of travels through Siberia, but also was, I think, constructed at the time to connect gulags and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So, it like, it begins, and Teague and uh, Prentice are driving. Uh, they're going to pick up their tour guide, who's a, ne- a guy named G- Caskill? Gaskill? Caskill. Caskill. It has a hell of a start. Yeah. Like, right off the bat, they almost drive off the side of an icy cliff. Now, I've never been to Siberia before, but I did live in Kyrgyzstan uh, for two years. And in the wintertime, when we would be driving through those icy mountain passes... And there was sometimes a guardrail, but a lot of times there wasn't, and it is, like, mildly terrifying. Yeah. So, like, I was reading that first chapter, and I was like, oh my god, I can, yeah. like, imagine this happening, well, cause... and, like, I went after reading, like, the first two chapters, because I was like, they talk about, I mean, like, you know, Buffalo gets, in peak winter, almost no sunlight. Mm-hmm. Um, and Siberia is substantially farther north. Mm-hmm. So I was, like, Googling pictures of Siberia in, like, February and stuff. And, like, yeah, it just, you know, like, at its brightest looks like the sun just went down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so he kind of dozes off because he's been driving for a long time. It's really cold, and also the sun doesn't exist. Right. Um, anyways, they, they save that. Um, they mention a major fear or, like, thing that a lot of people who don't live in cold climates don't know is they can actually get so cold your car won't start. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they survive. And so they drive, and they're on their way to pick up their, um... Wait, do they Guide. go... Yeah, but do they stop for gas first, or do they pick up it's the... It's at the same place. Same place. Yeah. Same place. Um, they, they stop at the gas station, and they meet their guide. Caskill. Caskill. Who is, like, a young... Fast-talking, entrepreneurial kind of guy. I really liked him. He's a kind of your, like, um, I mean, I don't know what the Russian term would be, but, like, in Kyrgyzstan, we called them bikes. 
which just essentially means young man, but like you use that term and I just imagine him in like a tracksuit with like a chain and he's like got a kind of a swagger, you know, kind of guy. Yeah. And that's like him. Um, and he's kind of like, yeah, I live here and I make money by showing people around and like, let's go to the coolest place on earth, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, where they pick them up is that that's where they get the, the burgers, right? Or is no, that slightly that's after? Because yeah, they pick them yeah. up and then they drive a they few. They drive a, for a little bit, a few hours, and uh-huh. they stop at a like a burger like bar, a, a rest stop. Basically, um, it's in the middle of nowhere. Like yeah. it's not really a city; it's, it's just a bar out there. I think they said that there was like thirty people or something that yeah. made up that village. Yeah, and like the people who own the bar just live on top of it. Yeah. Um, and they talk about these reindeer burgers that sound so goddamn good. I was like. I was Holy hungry shit. when I was reading that chapter, and I was like, I wonder if that would be good, but yeah. I was, like, hungry. I, it wasn't just the burger, though. It was, like, the bacon bits. I was like... And also, just the description of, like, I coming from Buffalo, New York, and, like, knowing what it's like to be, like, out in the cold, and then come inside and eat something warm, mm-hmm. and just, like, how... And- like comforting that can be for, like for comparison like i think you and i both probably experienced like negative 30 ish mm-hmm. siberia goes like na- negative 60 negative Below. 90 yeah, yeah. yeah. so even, even brutal like i can't even imagine how good it would feel to i mean i already cold. hated yeah i hate that feeling of your like nose going numb and your eyes kind of drying out with the cold yeah. where it feels like they're good when like, you I, walk out and your pores close so fast that it squeezes yeah, the moisture out and you're just like ah my face hurts yeah. like that kind of thing and i mean you get a lot of descriptions like that in this book mm-hmm. and it's uh, very relatable yeah from- um but yeah so here they encounter this nice family like the people from the city or the village and a girl named I, I I don't know how to say her whole name. Nari. Yeah. I don't know. I, I she don't specifically her name. whole name is like Nariana, but she says like call me Nari because Westerners will never pronounce it right. I I can't even remember what her full name was because I think she literally says it once and yeah. then she says call me Nari and um, then I so I don't remember. But she's just there and she leaves and then they leave shortly after to go to where they're staying for the night before they're going to start collecting footage because they're traveling through Siberia as a small team to collect footage to take back to the studios to be like, this is my idea mm-hmm. um, for our documentary. And along the way, after they've left this rest stop, they um, so it's, it's Prentice, uh, Teague, and Caskill, mm-hmm. and they pass by Nari's car who's broken down, so they pick her up because she was going to freeze to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just chatting, driving along, and they reach... Caskill's is it his hometown or Village, is it just where yeah. his family lives? I think it is his hometown. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's like, Alright, uh, you guys are gonna stay in this house and I'm gonna go find a place for Nari to sleep and I'm gonna go see like my parents or something. And so like, you know, they kinda of putter around in the house for a while. And there's like a little ominous stuff going on where they're just kinda of, like listen to the wind, like we're out in the edge of the world. Sounds like screaming. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Caskill and Nari come back, and they're like, town's haunted. <laughs> no, they're like, <laughs> and they're like, what? And they're like, yeah, town's haunted. No. Um, but they come back, and they're like, everybody's gone. And yeah. they're like, what? And they're like, yeah, like nobody's in the town. So they decide to split up in the pairs and go off and see if they can find anybody. Mm-hmm. 
So Teague and Nari and Prentice and Caskill. And I thought there this part of the book had a good I guess like it was like foreshadowing part, but where Prentice is walking with Caskill around and he's uh, thinking about this like family vacation that he took when he was younger. And he remembers they went to Italy, and he says that the part that he always remembered the most was when they went to Pompeii and seeing those, like, bodies that were encased in the ash and everything and preserved like that, and how haunting that was. And, I mean, uh, spoiler alert for the end of the book, but, like, seeing, like, the frozen bodies, like, frozen in place later. So I thought that was a good bit of foreshadowing in that that part um so they're they're kind of going around and they're going through the library and just yelling for people and they don't find anyone yeah they don't find anyone but they start to notice that some houses doors like back doors are open mm-hmm. and that snow has blown in so like these doors have been open for a while and you know leaving your door open in siberia, siberia is a deadly mistake right um but what they do find at one house is Una? Yeah, Una, which is Caskill's niece. niece. And he and she's like catatonic. Yeah. Like, like she's just kind of sitting, staring off into space. Her like body is cold. She looks like she's just been sitting there for hours, mm-hmm. if not longer. Um And I think at this point, like they find her and then um Teague is like, hey, Prentice, come here. Right? So Prentice comes over and Nari's kind of lagging behind. Um, I think at this point, so Nari and Teague were on their own and they kind of follow footsteps that are leading to the forest. Right. But when right. they when they get to the edge of the forest, they like don't really see anything, but Nari, it's from her point of view, and she says she kind of feels this like massive presence in the woods and she describes as like the trees kind of bending as if moving around something large. Yeah. And it's like I a think, force aura. Yeah, I think she says something like she thinks she sees eyes and she just is like so scared that she just starts like uh at that point I think she hears Prentice call for them and she just starts running towards, towards his them. voice. Yeah. And they eventually just, like, run away from the woods and go to where Prentice and Caskill are with yeah. the girl. But, like, as as she arrives, right, like, like you know, they all kind of meet up again, and they're like, what's wrong with Una? What are we gonna do next? And Nari comes peeling around the corner last, and she's like, yeah, there's something coming. <laughs> yeah, and so they're like, okay, we need to get out of here, we've got this girl, like, Teague and Prentice are like, we want to stay and, like, figure this out, because this could be, like, big money for, like, our TV show, but then they're kind of, like, realize this isn't a prank, this is real, we need to, like, get this girl out of here. this is what I like about Teague, is, like, he doesn't just go, like, hey, Prentice, make sure you're filming this. He, at times, will be, like, turn the camera off, this Mm -hmm. is, like, a tragedy. Yeah. Which makes him very likable. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyways... Essentially, a bunch of, uh, I don't know how to describe them, shadow wolves wolves with antlers? I don't think the wolves have antlers. I think they're just shadow wolves. Oh, there's antler people. Yeah, there's antler people and actual, like, reindeer and stuff, but this time it's just the shadow wolves. 
Um, the shadow, these, they, like, run to get the truck, and they're, like, trying to get everybody in there. But then there's, like, these shadow wolves that are just, like, coming Coming from around. the woods and from everywhere and in the darkness. And then Teague thinks he sees something that looks like a man, but he has, like, antlers, and he's, like, holding a decapitated wolf's head that's, like, leaking blood. Yeah. And he, for some reason, Teague is like, I'm gonna try and talk to this guy, yeah. I don't know. And everyone's like, get in the, get in the truck, man! And he's just like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? And since he's, like, doing that, uh, Prentice ends up having to, like, go get him and try and drag him back. And because of that, he ends up getting bit in the leg. The knee. By, yeah, like, it's like his whole, I imagine his whole leg just being just fucked fucked up. Because yeah. he got bit, like, multiple times. And eventually they end up, um, well, like hauling Prentice they, into yeah, the car. They're, like, hauling Prentice into the car, but unfortunately, Caskill uh, Kes- is, like, staying behind trying to, like, beat the wolves back, and they end up just, like, swarming over yeah. him and just, like, eating him, and basically. They, they talk about, like, seeing this black entity, like, like plasma material moving around the wolves and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, they eventually get out of this that village town. with only one loss. Uh, which is the nice uh, northern Russian boy. I mean, they won't lost, but then they also now have this weird catatonic child yeah. with them. So it's these two Americans, this random lady they picked up on the side of the road that's a native of this area, and, and then a catatonic, catatonic child. child. Yeah, and they're they're peeling now, trying to get back to the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and not much really happens while they're being driving back except that like they start to notice that the wolves are keeping pace with a car going 70 miles an hour mm-hmm. and um like uh I think at one point Teague says can I slow down and the girl says speed up uh, I think that's later okay yeah maybe yeah it's after it's after they leave the second village mm-hmm. that, that happens but um, they they essentially they end up making it to the village with the bar, with again. the bar, and but they're kind of like aware that the wolves are somehow still following them and keeping. At pace one point, with them. they see the actual guy too, mm-hmm. like walking in the woods, and so they they essentially like come to a screeching halt in front of the bar, and Nari like runs up with the girl, and like Teague is like taking Prentice and like pulling him into the bar, and these wolves are like. Right there, like, ready to wait for them, and they eventually, uh, the bar owner helps them out because they have a rifle, and they, yeah, yeah. like, the wife is, like, shooting these wolves as they make it in. So they, yeah, they make it in, they block the door, mm-hmm. um, they start telling the story, uh, and there's, like, like, I won't go into too much detail, but it's so wholesome, like, this couple's just, like, living their best life at home overnight. Yeah. Um. Essentially, so they get to this bar, and there is, like, a... Moment of safety, I guess. And the girl who is catatonic, like, smiles, and Teague is like, oh, she's like, she feels safe, she's happy. And I was like, that is deeply unsettling. Yeah. <laughs> like, in my mind, I was like, what do you mean? That's good, that seems bad. Um, But they essentially, like, help Prentice with his fucked up leg as best as they can, but it's still, like, really bad. 
They give him some Russian drugs. I didn't know the name of the drugs. Yeah, they straight up just, she goes like, we, these things aren't legal. I imagine it's like horse tranquilizers or something. Uh, but they give him that and kind of splint his leg the best that they can. Um, and then they're kind of just chilling at this bar for a while. And then while they're there, this, this was maybe one of my favorite scenes from the book where they start hearing the music. Yeah, yeah. And they're like in this bar and they're like, we're going to wait till sunrise. We got to get Prentice to a hospital or he's going to like bleed out and die. And then they're just kind of like sitting in the bar in different areas. Like some people are upstairs, some people are down and they just start hearing this like, tune in their head, like, like in their yeah, mind. Like they're being like, they charmed. Don't, yeah. And they, it starts making them, like, want to go outside. Mm. And they, like, out the window can see that weird deer-headed guy. Yeah. And they're like, oh, my God, I, just, I love him. I gotta go to him. I just have a mental image of, like, they look out, and he's out there with, like, a banjo in the tree, like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> they're like, yes, play that bluegrass. Play that funky music, um, dear boy. Also, I'm trying to remember, what does Nari call him? A, a prani? A parni? Parney, I yeah. think that's right. Yeah, um, she calls him a Parney, which she's like, I don't really know how to describe what it is, but it's like a shaman and a spirit, yeah. and he is the forest or whatever, the you know? Parney, in Siberian shamanism, I just googled it, the forest spirit, um, an invisible malicious being who can kill people, is believed to be a female being who lives underground in a decayed tree trunk, according to some accounts. Interesting. Um... I mean, I obviously that's a that's just one site's yeah. description of it because it was always described as masculine yeah. in this book. Um, but it, it, I, I picture it like if you if like a human shaman maybe like serves like nature or mm-hmm. something, right? This is like if nature became a shaman. Yeah, like, this is like nature taking on a form so that it can interact with humans. Yeah. is what I assume. Um, but he's like the guy that's controlling all these animal spirits, yeah. supposedly. Um, but eventually they figure out that like you know pain kind of dulls the music temporarily, so they like slap each other and they get themselves together. And Teague is like, "We got to get out of here. I'm gonna run out to the car, back it up to the door. You guys climb in, and then we'll drive to the hospital." Um. But right before that, this is one of my favorite scenes. Oh. They hear someone, like, knocking on the door. Mm. And they're like, don't open that goddamn door. Mm-hmm. And then... Yeah, we're kind of jumping around for yeah. what's happening in this scene, but that is something that happens when they're in the bar. Yeah, yeah. It happens right before the music. Um, But, like, a, a neighbor comes out to see what's going on, knocks on the door, the wolves kill him, and his blood, like, drips under the door. And I just think that's, like, one of those, like, trauma moments where you're like, I could have saved this person, but they could have killed everyone in this mm-hmm. building. Um, also, there's another great scene in this part with the bar. So they, like, hear this music and they're like, we gotta go out there, right? And then Nari is like, oh, shit, the little girl. And they're yeah. like, oh, yeah, she's, like, in that bedroom. And she, like, goes in to get her. But when she opens the door, she's like, it's, I can't remember the description, but it was like, the the room was like, immune to light, it seemed like. Yeah. Like, she opened it and couldn't see into it. And then she like, walked in and trips over what she doesn't know what it is. And then she like, looks up, 
and there's like a bunch of like white birch trees that are just like growing, growing. in the room. Yeah. And this was like the part that almost seemed the most surreal to me because she was like in this bedroom, but it was like becoming a forest. Mm-hmm. And she's like running through these trees trying to find this little girl in this bedroom. And it almost reminded me of like the part in The Fisherman where they're like walking through the forest, but they feel like they're underwater at the yeah. same time or something yeah. like that. You know, like. It- where it just, like, it doesn't make sense at all. Like, none of this stuff really makes sense, but this is just, like, there's a, the most crazy. A line in Marianne, which is a Netflix, a French Netflix horror series, but it's just, like, hell is by the ocean. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that line applies to so much, but it applies to even this. Uh-huh. It's just, like, you know, hell is, like, in this space somehow. Mm-hmm. Um... But yeah, so they they all get in the car eventually. They get the girl and they find her. She's sitting by the window, looking catatonic. Yeah. They take her, they run out of the bar, get in the truck. Start driving. Or try to. Yeah. Um, They end up losing... Uh, I can't remember his name. Timur. Timur. Yeah, the husband of... Because his wife thinks she sees, like, their neighbors. Mm. But then as they get closer, she realizes the neighbors have been transformed into also, like, weird deer-headed people. people. And the neighbors, like, charge at her and, like, spear her through with the horn. Which I was like, that honestly might be the most painful-sounding injury of this book. like, (laughs) Like, Like, straight through her shoulder, so it's not, like, a death blow. Yeah, through her shoulder. Um, and Timur ends up saving his wife, and she gets into the car with them, but he ends up dying, like, essentially saving her. So, second death of the night. Yeah, and then they kind of, like, peel out. Yeah. Um. Keep driving. And this is finally where they think they got away. Well, at least Teague is like, did we get away? And the little girl only says, like, go faster. Yeah, I think the... I think he's like, should I slow down or something? Because it's, like, really dark and hard to see. And she's like, no. And yeah. then she says something in, like, her language. Yeah. And he asks... Uh, it's a Yurik. Yurik. Yukut, I think. And he's like, what the heck did she say? And the girl's like, she said, go faster. Yeah. <laughs> so, clearly this little girl does not want to be near these things. And this is where Nari starts to get suspicious of this girl. Yeah, like, Nari- she's kind of like... This girl knows something is still out there, um, aside from us looking out the window and seeing deers running, or wolves running 80 miles an hour. Um, from here, though, is this when it splits back to, what's her name, Ludmilla? Yeah, Ludmilla is a character that we haven't talked about yet, yeah. but she does have uh, instances where she kind of comes in and out of the story. And she's my favorite character. Uh, she yeah, she's really interesting. So we'll just do a little aside here and just talk about Ludmilla because yeah, so, they do talk about her before this in yeah. the book, but we just hadn't talked about her yet. Because she does have um, a big role, but it's like only in like the final moments. Yeah, but she's just a woman. I can't remember how old she is. She's older. I think she. I think she was like in her seventies. She's missing some fingers and toes from frostbite. Yeah, and she like goes out into the Siberian night. Because in the winter, because that's when most people died, and she says that's when, like, you can most easily contact these spirits, and she's, like, saying prayers for them and putting them to rest. But it's, like, so cold that she's walking, like, a hundred yards, saying a prayer, and then being like, I should go back to my car, and being like, no, another hundred yards. 
And then she's like essentially losing, slowly losing her fingers to and toes to frostbite yeah. by doing this. But she's like, she's like convinced herself that this is like her purpose is to put the souls on the road of bones to rest. Yeah. And she thinks she can like hear the spirits of the dead like thanking her. Mm-hmm. She's like saying a final prayer for them so, and kind of sending them. So off. she's out there while this is all going on doing this. She's also uh, blasting. Uh, um, Bruce, Springsteen? Bruce Springsteen, yeah, uh, which is one of the reasons I liked her so much. Mm. Um, and also, Stephen King reviewed this book, and Stephen King also loves Bruce Springsteen, so this might have. I was, I thought it was funny. At one point, she was saying how uh, she used to say that Bruce Springsteen was the best thing to come out of New Jersey, and I, in my mind, I was like, "Well, no shit, New Jersey is." <laughs> It's like kind of trash. I mean, I don't know. Uh, maybe I just feel that way because I'm from New York, so yeah. I just have that opinion of New Jersey. Sorry if anybody from New Jersey is listening, but really, what else? Made a bunch of what, enemies. What else came out of New Jersey besides like uh, I don't know Jersey Shore or something? Is that even in New Jersey? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she's she's just out there doing that, um, and her car is parked uh, in a not so safe spot. Mm-hmm. Um, does anything happen before that group gets together again? I think she. I think a lot of Lynn Miller's asides are just her talking about her. It, it's kind of like a way to give you, as the reader, I think, an idea of traditional shamanistic practices yeah, yeah. and Christianity uh, in Siberia and how they have kind of like melded together and kind of see like the generational divide that happened there, and so like. For, for the most part, hers are, like, peaceful sides while everyone else is, like, running for their life. She's yeah. just like, oh, when I was a young girl, yeah. I went to Berlin and I saw Bruce Springsteen. And, and like, the Berlin Wall. And uh, she's talking and, and she just kind of is, like, informing you. I felt like she was kind of there to inform you as the reader. She's a little bit of a bridge. About, like, shamanistic practices and how she's kind of combining that and, like, Christian prayers to release these yeah. dead spirits. I liked her so much, I wrote a poem about her. But oh. I couldn't show it to Ronnie because she didn't read the book until... Listen, I was reading a lot this month, okay? <laughs> so you don't even be mad at me. So I was reading um, a lot. But yeah, so what what happened... I'm trying to keep this organized. So they... The other group make their uh, escape from the second village. They they are like, we can't wait till sunrise. Shit's going down. We need to get out of here. We're gonna go to the hospital. They were gonna go to the hospital, and so they essentially peel out, and I feel like it's crazy, because this book essentially takes place over, like, like seven eight hours. hours. Like, yeah. it barely ends. So, like, I feel like a lot of the next part is them driving. And arguing. And <laughs> arguing. And then, um... Nari becoming more and more paranoid about the girl and about how she's something's wrong with her. Nari's like, there's and a demon in that. There, they're child. like fighting about it, and then all of a sudden, wait, wait. Prentice starts screaming. Okay, you're gonna go where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. Prentice starts screaming. So Tamir's wife, who's in the back, yeah, starts the, wo- the woman who got morbing out. <laughs> she's morbid. Yeah, the woman who got gored by the the deer head peoples is transforming and she kind of she starts growing horns too and like they say that they can see like brown knotted fingers like coming out of her human skin or something like that and her eyes are becoming yellow with like uh black slits in them and um 
she essentially is just turning into a monster and they like squeal to a stop and Prentice is just like, I don't care if my one leg is fucked up. He just opens his door and falls out of the truck. Yeah. And they essentially end up having like a scuffle where they're like fighting this this deer creature girl and uh they essentially end up killing her. Like yeah. uh what's his name? Teague ends Teague. up like headshotting her. Yeah. And they can like sense that presence continuing to follow them. Mm. Get back in the car. And at this point, Nari is like, we just need to give them this girl. We need to leave her outside right now and just like keep driving. Yeah. And Teague is like, no. So they eventually get everybody back in the truck, just as, like, the wolves and the deer yeah. things are, like, catching and, up to them again. And throughout this beginning part, Teague is constantly thinking about his dead sister, who, you know, they never really fully tell you what happened, but it seems like he was supposed to be watching her, and someone abducted her and killed her. Yeah. Um, and so Teague is having this, like moment of, like, I need to take care of this girl because I failed my sister. Yeah, he and has, like, essentially survivor's guilt. guilt of his younger sibling from when he was a child, yeah. and so he's kind of, like, projecting that and onto this Prentice girl. is like, you have to listen to me, this isn't your sister. Fatigue's very just like, nah. Yeah. Um, but so they start driving again. Yeah, they start driving, and Teague is... Fucking stressed. Yeah. The girl is like catatonic but smiling creepily. Uh Nari is like, I hate this fucking Nari, demon child. Nari is like, either you kick the child out or you let me out. Yeah. And Teague is like, I'm not stopping the goddamn car. And at this point, Prentice is in like so much pain and has lost so much blood that he's just like barely even conscious, yeah. so he's not even really adding anything to the conversation. But essentially, Teague and Nari are just like fighting about what to do with this little girl again, and then they're so distracted, I think Teague, like, turns, like, to yell at her or something, and they don't see Ludmilla's car yeah. parked on the side of the road, and they just, like, Plow I think, it. I can't, it sounds like they hit it, but he, like, turns Swerved. the wheel, so they, like, hit it on the side. Yeah. So, so their window, or their, their, they lose a tire on their car, and they break the uh, window shield of Ludmilla's car. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they all end up in the snow. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, Teague is, like, trying to tell Ludmilla he's sorry, but he doesn't speak her language. Um, the monsters are coming. Um. I have to say, at, in this book, I was, like, wondering how it was going to end, because I remember when you were reading it, and you were like, I don't know how they're going to get out of this. I was this. like, these guys are fucked. And honestly, until the part where, like, the weird deer lady transformed in the backseat of their truck, I was like, I mean, they might, like, one of them might make it at least, but then she transformed, and for some reason in my mind, when that happened, I was like, oh, they're well, as now. soon as <laughs> like, Prentice got bit, I was like, this is some werewolf shit or something. He didn't change, though, no. which was weird. Um, which I think Nari thinks on that later. She's like, why didn't Prentice change? And this lady did. Yeah. Like, it, uh, she, it, it, it didn't make sense to me either, honestly. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know what the the reasoning is. It's magic. I, my, so. my thought was that the people who become these deer things are also infected by other humanoid-esque things, whereas Prentice was bit by a non-human It was just fully, like, a, a spirit. Wolf. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah. 
But anyways, they, you know, they apologize to Ludmilla, and they're like, we're gonna die out here, and then they're just like, wait a second, we have a car but no window shield, so we just gotta keep the heat on and drive until we get somewhere with heat. I was like, it's very optimistic thinking, because I was like, even if you had the heat on full blast, if you're driving, like, 80 miles an hour in, like, negative 60 degree or whatever the fuck it is weather, I don't even know if that would work, you know what I mean? Like, your face would just be fucked by the time you got anywhere. Um, but essentially, Ludmilla just kind of has a heart attack and dies. Yeah, Ludmilla is just like, no, let me go. And she just kind of is like, I'm just gonna die here. And they spend some time arguing with her, because Teague is like, I don't want to let anybody die. We're gonna make you come with us, blah, blah, blah. And Ludmilla's like, no, just let me go. And... At that point, as they're, like, arguing about that, is when Prentice is still in the truck that got turned over. Mm. And they see these two reindeer that then stand up on their high... Which, honestly, if I, if I just thought that, that would be horrifying enough. There's if an- two reindeer just stood up on their hind legs and then walked like people, I'd be like... There's an episode of The Simpsons where Lisa goes down the wrong skiing trail, mm. and she's like... Nothing could, or she's like, things are looking up. Look, reindeer, and the reindeer, like, growl at her, and this is exactly how I pictured it. And so these reindeer, like, stand up, they kind of, like, look at where everybody's arguing with Ludmilla, and then they just grab Prentice and just drag him into the woods. Yeah. And I was like, oh, all right, well, he's yeah. dead. Like, yeah. in my mind, I was like, this is the end for him. Um, And this is what forces Steve to act. He, like, runs out there. He- well, then, the thing is, then, Teague's like, get in the get in the car, and Nari's like, okay, we're gonna get in the car, we're gonna get out of here, and she, like, gets in the back seat, and then Teague's like, let's go, and he just, like, drives into the forest, yeah. and Nari's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I was like, I feel like I'd be the same, yeah. I'd be like, no! <laughs> and Teague is the character in any Dark Pictures Anthology game, where you're like, we should run, and they're like, yeah, we should run, and you go with them, and then they, like, pull out the Gatling gun, and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> I, I might run away, not run towards the bad guy. But they, they, they ram some deer, they get Prentice back. No, they don't. No, no, wait, this, is, this is not where they get Prentice back. <laughs> they do not get Prentice back. Well, they, they, go they temporarily get him they, back. they go into the woods, and the deer are essentially, like, holding Prentice up by his head, and they're, like, making guttural sounds at him. And Nari, like, pulls the little girl out of the back seat, and she's, like, holding the little girl who's, like, frothing at the mouth at this point. Yeah. And she's, like, yelling at Teague to, like, make the trade mm. for, to give the little girl to them, and they'll and take the And they had Prentice no prior back. discussion about this, so Teague's just, like... And Teague's just, like, no, I can't give up this little girl. And the deer people are just kind of, like, okay, well, fuck you then, and they just, like, break Prentice's neck and just kill him. Yeah. And I was, like, honestly, at that point, I was, like, thank God, they put him out of his they misery. This, man. This, this guy has been suffering for, like, eight hours straight at this point with his fucked up leg, yeah. so better to just let him be or whatever. And, like, remarkably calm about it. Like, he gets angry when he's in pain, but he's never, like, lashing out mindlessly. Mm. Um, but it's at this point that um, Teague is like, alright, I can't give you the girl, but there's something in her, right? And the thing kind of looks at him, and then Teague is like, so, can you translate for me, Nari? Tell them that if they can take the thing out of her and put it in me, I'll be whatever they need me to be. And I like how, at this point, he's talking to 
the the Parney Parney who is like the the it looks like a man with like a deer head, right? And then but they can sense that larger presence kind of looming above them as well. And um for some reason, I always really like this in stories when you're, like, a human and you're trying to make a deal with, like, a being like this, like a Parney or, like, an Archfey or, like, a, you know, just, like, a god or something, and they describe the being as being, like, amused. Because I honestly think that is what would happen. Like, yeah. if you were, like, this powerful being and this person's like, wait, wait, wait. Let's make a deal. Just hear me out. You just be like, okay, I mean, I'm like yeah. a mortal, so like, I this, mean, is, this, this is could like, be interesting. This is like how I imagine when it's Jacob who wrestles an angel, right, in the Bible? I think so. And then, uh, can you imagine being that angel and going back to God and being like, yeah, yeah. you've been wrestling. Yeah, me. I fought this guy. This guy's crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. Um. So, but like, the thing generally is just kind of like, Alright, if you say so. <laughs> yeah, so they're like, it seems like they agree, um, but not in the way that uh, Teague was expecting. And it doesn't describe how it happens, but at some point, they're like getting marched back through the wilderness, and they essentially go back to that town that they were in the first place that uh, the girl was from, where their Caskill the guy died. And then they follow the footprints they had looked at earlier into the woods. And then they, like, pass these frozen people that are, like, standing and frozen, just frozen dead it's as they were walking. very cool imagery. This is the only part of the book where I was, like, the pacing has shifted so dramatically. I'm not bored right now, but, like, it's so different, I feel jarred. But, like, it's probably my favorite, like part of the book to think about. If that makes sense. Okay. But yeah, so they're like, like, it's like cosmic horror, like they're like walking through these frozen bodies. Yeah, because I think they do make a comment at one point where they're like looking at the frozen bodies and they're like, it doesn't make sense because like, even though this is the coldest place on Earth, it would get warm in the summer, so these bodies would like unfreeze and fall to the ground and start to decay at that point. Yeah. But for some reason, these bodies are continued to be frozen solid, and I think Nari is the one that notes, and she's like, some of them are dressed in, like, old clothing. Yeah. Like, from a previous time, and she's like, it doesn't make sense that they would still be here like that. So in my mind, when they, like, pass into the trees on this edge of, like, civilization... They were no longer necessarily on the plane yeah. that they had been on the way the whole time. I my brain wanted to interpret these people is like these are all different shamans throughout time that have like human shamans that have worked in. Uh, you might be able to hear the really low flying airplane. I think going it's a by. helicopter. Yeah, yeah a helicopter. But all right, um, they uh that had served, like, this nature area, and so they were, like, rewarded by being, like, immortalized in this thing's hmm. realm. That's interesting that you had interpreted it that way, because in my mind, it was just people that had gotten lost in the woods, and then this... These entities of the forest, they're not, like, malevolent in my mind, but they're, like, kind of uncaring. Like, these people wandered into these, like, this ethereal woodland and they're just like you just die here 
Because, like, humans are not meant to exist Well, here. and, I mean, at one point, Nari does say, like, sometimes... Sometimes the supernatural is forced to interact with humans in order to stop a force that is not human. Okay. Like, so, like, you know, I was wondering, like, how many times before had this happened? Mm -hmm. Like, has this, is this, like, a reoccurring battle between this nature spirit and whatever the hell is in Una? Well, and also, too, because they pass, like, all the people that have walked out of their homes in that first village. Mm -hmm. And for, and they, it seems like the being was just, like, I literally don't care about this entire village. I just know that this uh, other entity is inside of one of the people in this village. So I'm just going to charm all of them and make them walk to their deaths, and hopefully the one that the malevolent being is yeah. in will walk out too. But Una did not walk out with the rest of them, she just stayed in the house. And they do also mention this as they're making that march back into the woods, that I think Teague notices that the animals can walk between the buildings and stuff. But the larger entity that seems to, like, bend the trees around it that you can't really perceive that thing, it, de like, makes a definite path around yeah. the village as if it's, like, that is nature, so it cannot enter that place of civilization, which is why it needs that, that Parney, yeah, the yeah. shaman, to, like, move and act for it mm. there, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um... um. So this is where I got a little confused by what the heck happened to Nari. Yeah, because they don't show, they don't tell you, they just have Teague waking up as they're, like, walking and noticing that Nari has, like, a cut on her arm. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you assume that, I assume, one of the deer people, like, cut her arm with their antler or something? And then... Because we know that the antler transforms them into deer people, she starts to transform too, and she's just like, uh, fuck this, man. I wanted to, I just wanted to go home, and now yeah. I'm turning into a deer person. It's like, you know, you know, they just rip the thing out of uh, Una, put it in the, yeah. and gank him. Yeah, so at the end, well, I don't, do they kill him? I assume that even if, I don't think they kill him. I think they keep him. Yeah, but I assume that he, like, by putting the thing in him, it, like, snuffed out the oh, essentialness it, it, it of him. Oh, it snuffs out wh whatever Teague is. And I think Nari thinks on that, too, as, like, a last thought before she sees him go. She's like, is is he dead or is he, like, caged in his own mind, like a slave to this dark entity mm -hmm. that's now. Well, because he's probably still in there, because they pull the dark spirit out of him, and then Una, like, yeah. wakes up and is, like, alive again. Because they, like, drop Una off at, like, her grandma's house. Yeah, they're, like, they they have this little aside at the end where, like, uh, Nari is, like, alright, I'm taking this kid, and she, like, takes her to her grandma's house and is, like, here you go, bye! And yep. then she's, like, I feel, I think the last chapter is from Nari's point of view, right? Yeah. And she's just, like, you know what? I wanted... All I wanted my whole life was, like, just the freedom to just do whatever I wanted to yeah. go, wherever I wanted to be free. And she's like, now I'm a deer. I guess I'll just fucking roam the tundra. And she's I just like, sure, like... This is what it feels like to join the wild hunt. Yeah, yeah. That's a good, uh... But yeah, I mean, there's not really a resolution, and the ending is really just, like, they captured the thing. I mean, yeah, you like don't ever really know. Also, Nari re refers to 
um, that that larger being that she sees as Bugatti Musen. Yeah. And I was wondering, so like Teague uh, sees this too, and they describe her as a giant woman that turns like has like deer antlers and she's like a essentially a forest goddess it seems like of Siberia but I had never heard of this uh you're spelling it wrong so um I had never heard of this but I was wondering if she was essentially like a Siberian Baba Yaga oh maybe because in my mind, that's kind of how I, I pictured her. Bugatti Musen was a Siberian goddess revered by the Evenki people, a patron of wildlife and guardian of animals. She usually took the form of a tough older woman or huge female elk or reindeer. And they do talk about a really interesting ghost that I don't think this is the same entity. But at the beginning, Caskill talks about seeing a ghost of a woman who walks the bone road and, like, says prayers for people. That's not... Does he say Ludmilla? I was kind of wondering about that, too, and I was like, I remember him naming it, and I feel like he said Ludmilla, and I was like, wait, was she already dead when they met her? Hold on, I'm gonna look really quick, but continue on about the... Yeah, I mean, like, I really like this book. I think the pace is so breakneck, that when you get to the cosmic horror part, um, oh, Ludmilla's ghost. They do talk about Ludmilla's ghost at the beginning, but then they meet Ludmilla as she's dying. Well, maybe she's, like, reliving her... Maybe she was already a... But then how did her car... I don't know. This is... That's weird. Yeah. That's one of those weird things. Um, but yeah, like, so when you get to the cosmic horror, which tends to be my favorite part of books... I all of a sudden was like, I went from 180% speed to, like, this slow walk. And it just, it, I don't know, it's not bad. It just felt weird to me. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just really had fun with this. Yeah, uh, it, this was a good book. And it's not long, either. 220 pages? Like, I mean, really, you could read this in the day. Yeah. Um, so it's good. I think it's good, um, I guess this is cosmic horror. It's like a thriller cosmic cosmic horror. horror. Yeah. It's like cosmic horror, but it, 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 it's like a more earthy than other cosmic horror that I've read. Yeah. Where it, like, really brings it down to the... Because, like, the thing about cosmicism, right, is, like, like, nature is part of the cosmos, but it's a very small part. So when, like, you get into, like, Lovecraftian cosmic horror, these entities are, like, encapsulating multiple natures of, like, Earth nature, Mars nature, like, you know, all the planets and stuff. So, like, yeah, it's more of an Earth-centric force, but I would still consider an Earth spirit to be cosmic. It's, like, mm. a part of the cosmos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Like, even in Lovecraft stories, there's a story called The Old Gods. Mm-hmm. Where a guy tries to find the Earth gods and instead accidentally ends up seeing cosmic shit. Okay. Um, but yeah, um, I give it like a three and a half out of five, like a four, near closer to a four. Hmm. Something about Ludmilla really spoke to me. I don't know. I feel like for me, I'd probably give this. You know, I'd probably give it like 
a 6.5 out of 10. I hate using like a 0.5, but I feel like it should be better than a 6. Because it really is just the way that it's written. The pacing is really good. Like you could really just like keep reading, keep reading, and you wouldn't feel like it was like a chore to do it. So I think it's very well written in that regard. But um, I mean, it's not... It's not, like, my usual genre or anything that I would read, so I'll say 6.5 out of 10. Yeah. I'd give it that. Um, but yeah, it was good. It was spooky. Um, it definitely made me think of home, talking mm-hmm. about the cold a lot, and, you know, your, like, eyelashes, getting ice colds on them, you know, all that kind of stuff. Thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what do we have coming up for Spooky Month? So, uh, I mean, I didn't pick a spooky book, um, but the book that I picked for next month, I wanted something that was kind of dreamlike, um, like our, our was that our first book, Piranesi, or was that a, a second book? I think it was our first book. One of our earlier earliest picks that we did for this podcast, uh, but I wanted something that had that kind of vibe, so I picked Light from Uncommon Stars by Rika Aoki. And it just honestly sounds kind of crazy. So I am ready and excited to read yeah. it. So, um, yeah, Ronnie read the description to me and I was just like, what? But, um, yeah, we're excited. Uh, we've been reading some weird stuff, which is kind of crazy. We did this podcast, this is the weird stuff we wouldn't normally read. And we'll be posting what we think on Twitter, or at least I will. I'm um, and you can check it out on the shared pages pod uh, twitter.com um, and we'll see you next time yeah